Welcome to the Heart of Healing, the Pandemic Episodes. I am your host, Tom Fould. In these episodes, we'll meet loving, talented people who, while coping with their own pandemic stress, are offering others understanding, compassion, love, and ways to relax and heal, even under the weight of current conditions. Listen with an open heart to those who, in this time of crisis, are offering their hearts and talents to us all. I'm happy to say that today we have as our guest, Lauren Berman, who is a clinical psychologist, a collaborative divorce professional, and a parenting coordinator. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. I'm fascinated by the terms here, collaborative divorce professional and parenting coordinator. I mean, start, I know about clinical psychologists, I know that term. But these other terms, tell me some more about what is a collaborative divorce profession. Well, I'm happy to explain it. I love for people to understand that there is an, in, in our time now, there are other options for different divorce processes. People know about mediation and they certainly know about litigation. But collaborative divorce is another option um, it is about, I think, 40 years old in the United States, and it began uh, with an, one attorney in Minnesota who decided he did not want to continue litigating divorces. It was just not good for his soul. So he decided he was going to settle all his cases out of court, and he wouldn't work on any cases unless they would settle out of court. And uh, his name was uh, Stu Webb. And what evolved was a whole uh, process where there's a team of professionals, including two collaboratively trained attorneys and a mental health professional like myself, who can function either as a child specialist or as a coach for either of the parents or both of them and a neutral financial professional. And together this team will help a family resolve their divorce out of court with um, really targeted services, both for the emotional safety, for their parenting plan, and you know, legally. That's fascinating. Now, who puts together this team? Well, there's actually um, a, a group in in New York, and there are groups all over the country, and in about I don't know twenty seven other countries right now. There's an international organization called the um, International Academy of Collaborative Professionals, and uh, the team is put together either by the attorney. Somebody comes into the attorney's office and is looking for a divorce and appears to be open to the idea of collaborative divorce. That attorney will help them find a collaborative divorce professional for their, for their spouse, their husband or wife. And then uh, together, they will uh, decide upon a neutral financial professional and a neutral mental health professional. And talk a little more about the neutral financial person. The, the neutral financial person Rather than having um, you know, my accountant and your accountant or a forensic accountant, the neutral financial is somebody who takes a look at 
both uh, people's uh, budgets and their spending and the net worth of the family and their cost of living analysis and gets everything together in very understandable documents in black and white so that when they begin to um, make decisions and, and look at options for settlement, they have everything they need to know financially about their whole financial universe, what there is to work with and what they need. So they know the, the numbers are there, clear, and nobody out, one side isn't making them up and another right. side change or something. Correct. So that you have the numbers, well, I don't want to get too deep into this. How do you decide who decides what, how to divide those numbers or how to, what costs will be involved for which person? What is decided, you see everything, instead of being in a courtroom or two lawyers writing letters to each other or talking on the phone, everybody sits around a table and then um, looks at what are the possible options for settlement, you know, and then evaluates all of those options based upon what's possible given the numbers and make decisions based on that. And the, actually the people, both people make their own decisions with the help of the professionals. It sounds extremely civilized as opposed to most divorces that I've ever heard of. Right. It is very respectful and dignified and civilized and private. Private, yes. It's private. Mm -hmm. How about cost? How does it relate to cost of doing it any other way? Um, well, you know, cost is always related to how prepared people are to go forward. So, in other words, if you are really ready, both of you, to, to make decisions and to act upon the information, it can be quite contained. It can be um, resolved within maybe two or three or four meetings. But if people are um, not making decisions or going back on their decisions or, you know, not kind of doing their homework and not getting their documents in, then it will take longer. and it you know, as a result may cost more. But certainly if you compare it to a, um, a lengthy litigation, it, it can be far more cost effective. I'm sure. Now let's come to what I think is the hard, hardest part, at least it seems to me it might be, and that is when children are involved. Mm -hmm. You are talking about being a parenting coordinator. I don't know if that's what's next to come up here, but what happens when there are children? Because that seems to be places where there's lots of contention can come up. Well, that's also one of the beauties of collaborative divorce. I'll talk about parenting coordination as well. But in collaborative divorce, you often have a, um, a mental health professional who works specifically in helping people deal with decisions around their children. It helps them make a parenting plan and helps them think through how they're going to make decisions and how they're going to function as a post-divorce parenting team. Um, parenting coordination is another way a mental health professional can help with uh, divorcing and divorced parents. Um, oftentimes parenting coordination is a post-divorce uh, intervention, unlike collaborative divorce, which is during the divorce, 
But parenting coordination is helping parents once they've already made their made their um, agreement or once they've had a judgment, helping them live with that and, and kind of smooth out the rough edges. And when things come up, like a decision about a child's medical um, needs or school, if parents don't disagree, if parents don't agree, a parenting coordinator can help them come to a decision to solve problems, uh, to talk about things that are coming up with their children if their communication is is hard. That's fascinating, fascinating. Because this is such an emotional area, I guess, and that makes it so difficult. And if you share, I mean, many stories about how un, unpleasant all of it was. This sounds like it opens the possibility of having actually sort of collaborative, I would say a pleasant uh, divorce, if yeah. that's a if that's a fair statement. Well, I think divorce is oftentimes not pleasant, even when there's very little conflict, because it's like a death. You know, it's a sad experience often for a family to go through. Um, But it does make the process much more dignified, more respectful, and more likely that people will be able to stick to their agreements because they own their agreements. They made these agreements. They made them, yes. And and we have to understand, Tom, that families um, don't stop when people divorce. You know, children still go through their lives. These are their parents. And after the judges and the lawyers and all the divorce professionals go away, Parents still have to parent their kids, and later in life, they'll hopefully be grandchildren. You know, it, it goes on for a lifetime. So, you know, having the best process it initially certainly sets people up for a much better post-divorce parenting um, experience. I understand. I think I would change the word I used when I said pleasant to humane. Yes, humane is a good word. Sounds like a humane experience. Mm-hmm. At, at, can take you through and with, with fewer bumps and because it is a sadness. I mean, it's, it's a sadness for what you had hoped for, what you had imagined you were doing when you got married right. and had right. children, or just do, whether you had children or not, when you got married and said, this is my life's going to be like this, and it turns out not to be like that. Exactly. You know, it's the, it's the end of a dream that people yeah. have. You know, most people don't get married and on the on the uh at the altar think oh gee i'm gonna get divorced at some point you know most hopefully that's true right i'll tell a story here uh about when i was a young and in my 20s and a a young woman i knew got married and had a gigantic wedding i mean just one of the largest ones i've ever been to at a hotel and they went on their honeymoon for around the world cruise or something and came back and got divorced the next month. Oh, my. <laughs> I've never heard of anything like that. Hopefully, not too many things happen like that. And we get planned to get married and plan to have it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, the question comes up, during these very difficult times, if you add to that divorce, which in and of itself is a difficult time, how has the pandemic affected all of the people in this situation? Well... I would say that um, the pandemic has been a huge, huge issue around for people who are divorcing, 
people who are in troubled marriages who then ended up with each other 24 seven with all of this additional anxiety. Um, and for post-divorce, these times have been the most um, kind of, uh, I don't know how to say it, but there've been so many new divorces and people who are in the midst of divorce, the pandemic just, you know, really threw um, a monkey wrench in the works. The courts closed for a very long time and now they're backed up terribly. And so many people actually turn towards these alternative dispute resolution services like collaborative divorce or parenting coordination in order to, um, you know, to help them work through these issues without the help of the courts. Yes, that makes sense with the courts being closed. I know that when I interviewed someone who was on the other side of this, which had to do with getting married mm -hmm. and marriage officiants who had problems in the beginning because they couldn't get marriage licenses and they had to work out a whole new system for that. So, yeah. Yeah, and so many people who were getting married, the monkey wrench was thrown in their plans for their weddings, you know, they couldn't have that many people or they couldn't, you know, many people I heard postponed weddings or some people um, had them on Zoom. And, yes. you yeah. know, there were so many different um, ways in which people's lives got disrupted around these, uh, you know, life cycle events. Exactly. Now, there were some silver linings, I was told, about the marriage part because you could have people come to your wedding if you did it on Zoom, who normally would not have been able to come because they mm -hmm. live in Australia or right. someplace like that. But that was kind of a silver lining. I don't think you have people coming to the divorce, so you're not gonna have that kind of silver. Were there any silver lines, do you think, to this being under the divorce, under this situation? Well, for those people who took advantage of some of the alternative dispute resolution and maybe, um, you know, got the help of a collaborative divorce professionals or mediators instead of going to court. I think that piece could have been a silver lining, you know, people who, because one of the things that happens, for example, in collaborative divorce is not only do you get a divorce agreement, but you also have a period of time in which professionals model conflict resolution and kind of model a much more respectful way of being able to solve problems, resolve conflict, communicate with each other. Um, because the professional teams really are very well trained and work together in, in, um, you know, in, in to model a way of resolving disputes. And that would be having discussions differently than they ever had before. Right, right. It, which may have been one of the reasons leading to the divorce, now that you think about it. Right. Now, for yourself, in doing this, did you, you must have had to have some special training. Is that true? Uh, quite a bit of special training. Um, you know, beyond, uh, I have a doctorate in clinical psychology and a postdoctorate in child, adolescent, and family. I've been working in the field for 36 years. But when I began to train in um, collaborative divorce, I did a, you know, a basic training and then a specialized training in child specialists and being a, uh, a 
coach for different, you know, people within the divorce, uh, courses in uh, divorce law for non-lawyers, and and then lots and lots of um, additional work as well as uh, mediation training. Fascinating. Do you? I'm just getting off topic a little bit here, but do you find yourself using that in other ways? Yes, in many, many ways. I would think so. I think. I think we. I don't know. I think we could all use the training in terms of our lives, our relationships with people. Right, and mediation is really helpful with you name it. You know, with neighbors, with children, with family members, friends. Absolutely. And in work. And now the difficulty in addition now is this pandemic has had us all being separate from people. Although, if, as you're saying, if you're getting a divorce and you don't have two homes, um, you're living with the person who you want to be divorced from, and that must be very hard. Um, what else did you, how did you deal with this during the pandemic? How have you been dealing with Zoom on Zoom or other things? Um, all of my work right now has been on Zoom for over a year and a half. Um, I sometimes do about 40 Zoom sessions a week. And um, between meetings, collaborative divorce work, individual therapy, couple therapy, families, parent coordination, mediation, it's all done on Zoom right now. Do you have anything for your eyes? You must be very, you must be using your eyes tremendously. Nothing special, but I know at the end of the day, I'm I'm quite exhausted. Yes, well, I, I know that we've been interviewing different people. One of the uh, physical therapists I talked to on one of these shows said the very important thing about doing Zoom is to get up every half hour, mm -hmm. get stand and change your position and walk around, stamp your feet, whatever, get, get the energy moving. Yeah, I'm sure that's important, but it's not something I can do easily in the middle of a therapy session. No, I imagine not. Yes, I can see that, but maybe after the session. Yeah. For yourself. And how, I imagine it must differ tremendously because having that one-on-one -on -one in person, I think, creates that closeness. Do you feel you get anywhere close to that in the Zoom? I really miss one-on-one -on -one contact or you know being in a room with with my clients um and but do i feel i get close to it i do it you know because this is what we've got and i do feel that i can um connect with people and and do the work i need to do people cry they you know they get upset they I mean they have a full range of emotions over the zoom and it's certainly better than the phone um, yes but also I think it's interesting I've noticed because I've been involved in lots of zoom meetings um and I include uh, emotional situations with family members and so forth now on some level it seems a little bit easier to have some of the emotions because you're on zoom and maybe I don't know if this is the case, but it might be less threatening in a way to express yourself a little distant by being on Zoom. Do you think that might be the case? It may be. It may be. I mean, there there's a lot that you lose. I mean, we only see a person from the neck up, pretty right. much. And so, and and you don't really 
have the um, the mirror neurons working in the same way as you would if you were in the same room together. You can't see all the body language. You can't see all the subtle little shifting of position or you know flushing of the face or you know oh, yeah. you really miss a lot of the nuance um, and a lot of the connection. And and certainly I haven't I haven't been in person in any work you know since uh, early March of 2020, but um, I am looking forward to going back uh, sometime in the fall, early fall. Yes, well, the energy is different. I mean, before I, my wife and I got uh, vaccinated and our 24-year-old daughter got vaccinated, we would talk with her on Zoom. Mm -hmm. But the other day we met with her. What a difference. Besides the fact that we can actually hug, I mean, which is a major difference. Right. But just in the same room, there is some energy, definitely some energy happening uh, that you can pick up just by being in the same room with them. And it doesn't come across the same way on a Zoom call. Yeah, I, I, I just don't think it's the same as being together. On the other hand, I would say it's a blessing if we didn't have this technology. I think the pandemic would have been that much harder to bear. Absolutely. No, I, we, if there's, you know, look at it as a positive that we have it, that we have a way of communicating, a way of helping people that without it, they would, what would they be stuck doing in their lives without any help? So you are helping lots of people. Is there any, I doubt you have a simple answer to this, or there is a simple answer. Do you find, can you categorize? I'm not even asking this question too well. Can you, how can you define, if you can, people who are come to collaborative help to get that? What kind of people are they different, let's say, from others? Well, you know, in some way, certainly they're self-selecting, but I think part of it has to do with do does everybody who goes approaches a divorce, do they know about this option? Because I think the more people who really understand that this option is out there, the more people might be attracted to it. Um, you know, certainly the people who, um, who are self-selecting are people who really do want to prioritize the needs of their children who want the privacy, who, you know, want to keep the acrimony at a minimum and, and want to find a reasonable solution. Right. But yes, I think you, I agree with you tremendously that knowing about it, the, uh, the awareness of the public is, I certainly, and I don't think I'm all that shut away from everything, mm -hmm. I'm not aware of it. Um, and so I think, I hope that there are enough people hear this when we're talking that they will spread the word too. I know that I will. I will be able to tell people about it in various situations that I'm in. So I think it's important to get it, to have people know that it exists. As long we hear, and, and often I, mm. I, I find from, from stories I've been told, I find that when you get involved with the legal side, and not necessarily anything wrong with the legal people or anything, but there is a tendency to, to, you know, to get to battle get to an aggressive state as opposed to a cooperative state. Yes, well, but part of that, I think, 
is you know when when people are hurt or they've been betrayed, it, you know their initial um, reaction may be you know that they need to fight and they need to win, and um, you know children and money are two of the you know most dear things to to people, and you know, trying to sort out, you know, how often you're going to see your children or how you're going to share your, your network, your marital estate. That's really emotionally triggering to many people. Um, so. It is very yeah. definitely. And you said something I think is vitally important, the word win, because win implies also loss. Mm -hmm. If I win, lose. Right. As a collaborative says everybody wins. Exactly. What we look for is win-win uh, solutions, and we look for um, deep understanding on both parts of where each person is coming from. And I would think that would help in the long run because there isn't a bitter aftertaste saying I lost something or you know or ha ha I won. Uh, there is a maybe I hope a belief that. We did it well together. Right. Because as you said, you're going to have to continue parenting the children together and uh, the grandchildren, if that's the case. So mm -hmm. very important. Well, this is fascinating. And I, what I would call very good news that this exists and we need to spread this news. Speaking of which, if there are people who wish to find out more by getting in touch with you or getting in touch with the information, how would they best do that? They can email me. Um... My email is laurenbearman at gmail.com. That's L-A-U-R-E-N-B-E-H-R-M-A-N at gmail.com. All right. Well, that's how we will, we will tell them to get in touch with you and uh, they can learn. Uh, as you look ahead, has anything come out of this that, that you feel you've learned something that will be very helpful even when you get back to seeing people in person? I feel like I've learned a great deal from this. Um, one thing for sure is that we never know what's going to happen next. You know, who of us expected that the whole world was going to shut down essentially? And that, you know, we have to be prepared to deal with um, unexpected changes and to deal with adversity and to, uh, to be resilient in the face of change. Um, you know, that was something, especially early on that I found, you know, I really found that so many of the clients that I've been working with and, and you know, myself, my family, my, you know, my community, so challenged by, you know, how do we deal with having to uh, stop our lives on a dime and, and, you know, how do we, how do we pivot? How do we make it work? So many people I knew um, lost their livelihood. And, you know, how do they go forward? How do they, how do you, how, how do you reimagine your life or reinvent yourself? Absolutely. And it's happening, but it's slow. And I don't know that you know, I hear from my own experience and other people that going back in the world is a little bit scary. It's like, 
Now I can touch hands. Can mm-hmm. I? Can I hug? Even when my daughter came over, is this really okay? I mean, it's that year of doing not doing anything like that. It is really all on guard, I guess. You know, when you think about it, for years, for years in our lives, many of us never thought twice about, um, you know, being in Times Square, being in a crowded place, being on the subway. subway. Yeah, being you know, being at a stadium with you know, tens of thousands of people, it, it, it just wasn't an issue. And now, you know, it's like, you get a little bit of, you know, choked up. Is this okay? Can I pass this person, you know, six, less than six feet on the right or the left? It's very, it's, it's interesting to see how things are going to play out as, as the world reopens. Absolutely. And I imagine because you have more than one person involved in all of the work you're doing, when you do a collaborative, you got to figure out how you're going to do that. A long table separate or anyway, those you'll find out as we, as we go along. We'll figure it out. I mean, there are ways in which the Zoom is actually very functional. Yes. Because Indeed. especially for that kind of work, um, we're able to use breakout rooms. If things get too hot, you know, you can let give people a little bit of space. Um, and it, it certainly cuts travel time. It makes it easier for people to show up. And for people from different areas. Yes. All the professionals involved that don't necessarily live in the same neighborhood and the, and the people you're dealing with. So that, that does help. However, as you say, you lose that personal contact. So I imagine some, some hybrid is going to come out of this. I suspect there will be. I, I'm fully uh, expecting a hybrid practice where I see some people in person and some people on Zoom. And also, I'm just imagining that you could be with somebody in person and, every, and other people could be in Zoom for the same meeting. Mm-hmm. So there could be lots of possibilities. There are lots of possibilities. Certainly what we call telehealth is here to stay. It, Absolutely. You know, and, and again, with the, with the pandemic, everything kind of evolved around, you know, within a few weeks, whereas it could have taken years for this to become established. Uh, well, it, it has been a miracle in that sense of the word. Mm-hmm. Well, our time is zipping by and we're, we're really ready to finish. But I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and for exposing me and I hope many other people now to this wonderful opportunity to have a collaborative situation in divorce, and I imagine in other situations too. Yes, in fact, uh, there is a civil collaborative option where a collaborative practice is applied to trusts and estates and uh, business matters and family businesses and all kinds of um, disputes. That's wonderful. I'm very glad to hear that. And I thank you, Lauren, for being a part of it. Lauren Berman, who's a, a very wonderful person. I'm enjoying talking to you. And I'm with it. I don't want to be in a divorce myself, but if I had to be, I'd be I'd like to have you as a coordinator for it. Oh, thank you, Tom. So nice to uh, spend this time with you today. Thank you very much. Take good care. You're welcome.